Hi and welcome to Arrow Bandwidth. This is our annual trip to InfoSec where we get to talk to the best, most influential people in the cybersecurity industry. Sit back and enjoy the next few weeks of our brilliant coverage from this fantastic event. So, hi and welcome to the podcast. Uh, so let's start with a bit of, uh, <laughs> why don't you untangle your yeah. microphone? Yeah, there we go. So what's your name, where did you come from? Uh, my name is John Geeter, I'm Chief Technology Officer for Talis eSecurity. Fantastic. So give us a bit of an idea of, of what the CTO for Talis eSecurity means, because there's a lot of stuff rolled into that eSecurity portfolio. It's a, a really, hmm. really, I, I mean, I must admit, so we used to have four metric yep. okay. as, a, as a vendor yeah, in its yeah. own right, mm-hmm. and then you bought that, yep. and then eSecurity, obviously we've got that now, but that's fantastic. Um, I know you've made another acquisition recently, if you, if you want to touch on that or... <laughs> well, <laughs> if you're excited about um, quantum and blockchain, the, uh, the recent, well, we've made a, a, an even more recent acquisition in the um, driverless train space. Um, recently <laughs> in uh, in bigger bigger talus, but um, wow, the one the one you will have seen, um, I guess, is Guavas, which is a, a an AI machine learning big data analytics company, uh, which is a sister to Talus e Security in the in the Talus group. We're back the big three there. If we, can get, if we can get that covered oh, in this I mean. podcast, yeah. Did, oh. I, did I mention IoT? Do we throw oh, that in? Oh, so we, yes, look, we're we, having we, you back. We're we having filled, you back, John. We're filled filled having you back. There's not enough hours in the day to do to travel all these So <laughs> cancel everything. So what's can. nice about this one is we've got a bit of a we've got a bit of an idea of what we want to cover off on this one. Yeah. Because um, you were nice enough to not literally rock up on the day and go. So what am I going to talk about? <laughs> you actually gave us some topics in advance, and I must admit, and, and I'm pretty sure I can talk for Rich as well, this is one of the ones that I was excited about from the moment I read the topics that you guys have suggested. So the email header, didn't you? So I think you rang me. Yeah. <laughs> email headers. Yeah. So, so, so John, what it's are we going to... It is, yeah. <laughs> it's marketing for you. Never yeah. mind. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so, uh, so what are we going to cover off? So, well, you asked me what it, what it means to be um, CTO of Talisy yes. Security, and there's a, a bunch of day-to-day responsibilities that I have for product security, um, design assurance, and things like that. I have to sign things every now and again to uh, say that our appliances are not going to catch fire in, in any <laughs> any region, things Always like that. Which is well, which is, which is important, and that's a, yeah. that's a big part of the of, of the role. But um, in terms of the um, the futury stuff, I also do have a responsibility to look at what's happening in the marketplace mm. uh, and prepare our products and services for what our customers are going to be facing in the general computing landscape. Because uh, I think we always have to be a little bit humble and remember that security is a, a thing that you you bring to somebody else's party. You know, some mm-hmm. people have businesses to run, they've got computer systems and data, um, and you've got to be as, as close to that as you can if you're going to give really good good security to them. So I get to spend a little bit of time future gazing and, and looking at what's happening in the world. Um, and so for a provider of crypto services and um, you know, strong cryptography and key management, of course, we want to look at uh, things that change the fundamental nature of um, uh, things like public key cryptography. And two of those uh, in a sort of very practical space, you've got um, blockchain evol- uh, evolving and, and coming along, uh, changing the the practical function of the way things work, how we store things, how we trust things, how we get to know um, the truth in, in yeah. one way. You know, Talisy Security has a, a lot of uh, footprint in PKIs and, and um, I think it's very important to dispel some of the myths that come along with these new things. Uh, that somehow blockchain might replace PKI, it's, it's not so that just, simple. Just for our listeners, just yeah. explain public key infrastructure. Yeah, sure. So um, one, of, one of many algorithms, you'll probably have to <laughs> ask me to expand at some point, um, <laughs> acronyms even. Um, so 
yeah, so PKI, the public key infrastructure, um, is a model for how you can trust people, things, identities, data yeah. uh, on a on a large scale. Because of course, um, if you just meet somebody in a in a bar and you can establish rapport, then you can discuss things with them and, and sort of make it a choice. And of course, if you know somebody personally, you can build that um, that trust and that relationship, mm. and you start to understand what you're exchanging. If you're in a huge population of, of folks who kind of know that they might want to talk at some point once ever, and you need to have some idea of, of, of trust, you need to have a better way of finding out how and why you might be able to believe the communications that you're, you're having with those people. So translate that into computers and data communications and data transfers. If I receive a message from a computer telling me to you know, pay some money, or if I'm sending a command down to a, a power station telling it to spin its centrifuges at a, at a particular speed, you want to know, even if you've never ever encountered though, these two participants in a in a conversation before, you want to know you can believe that and you really do spin up that centrifuge up to seven, uh, even though that feels like it might blow it apart and, and <laughs> cause an episode of 24 <laughs> to happen. Um, so um, PKI, uh, public key infrastructure, is a model for uh, developing trust, starting from a, a, you know, a well-situated authority at the top, yeah. um, who has roots, a position, yeah. root CA, root certificate yeah. authority in, in, in that speak, who, who sits at the top and knows um, how to go out and check things like companies' house for bankruptcies and things like that, or how to look at your passport records and know that you're a real human being. Yeah. So they sort of do all that hard work of finding out who you are, and then you can um, gradually sort of tell everybody else from somebody that they trust who this person is and yeah. why you might trust them. It's that, that kind of thing. So yeah. it's a it's a very well uh, matured technology for being able to do things like, for example, uh, SSL on the internet, so to secure sockets mm. layer, the yeah. padlock thing. Yes, every um, time you see HTTPS in, yeah. a, in a web link, that. that's fundamentally relying upon PKI. So this, this thing um, is, is effectively what's behind the curtain behind that padlock. Uh, but you can use it for way more than websites. Yeah. So <coughs> how, how are we iterating on PKI? Or, or augmenting or, 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 or adding to? Give us, give us so... Well, so let's fun, let's, fun let's, thing. Let's, let's, let's jump into the, the fun the thing that, that that we get to do with you know, crazy or, or less crazy future stuff um, is that you don't always iterate. I think it, it's it's um, impossible to jump straight from one world to another. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of the technologies that we have um, around about the place, especially the ones that actually have a name and a logo and, and, and whatever, at a certain point in time, they may find themselves at an evolutionary cul-de-sac, and it's you know, much, much harder to sort of tweak the thing you've already got to meet the new environment and the new world yeah. um, than it is to actually, you know, wander a little bit back up the genetic tree and build something else that's actually a good fit mm. um, for, for, for the world that it's living in and so on. And so um, where we have sort of blockchain is interesting, for example, is that it's not a new idea at all. No. It's been around these kinds of things, even the data structures and the clever math that everybody likes to, to, to chat about. Um, those have been around since the 70s and even before. Hmm. And the issue was that um, we didn't have the cheap bandwidth and we didn't have the huge storage and we didn't have the reliable connectivity that it takes to actually operate a global scale you know, blockchain. Yeah. Um, but now that we do, it turns out that that's a really good way of sharing a common understanding of, of what today's truth is or, or what's happened in the world. And so... Uh, instead of having to maintain really complicated 
um, and frankly expensive shared databases, for example, if um, you and I both wanted to agree constantly on, on what's happening, you know, how, how much we've exchanged, if we mm -hmm. go out for pizza and we don't like, strictly alternate who pays for which dinner, you won't want to keep a ledger or a record of that. You know, instead of having to keep our own separate databases and then sync them every now and again and then show up in court with different completely unprovable records of our own view of the evening because you know, if you had a few jars before we got into the restaurant maybe you forget to update your record yes. of when I paid, all of that kind of thing you know, the old systems um, for recording and comparing and validating the, the data were and are very very heavy and, um, yes. and, and unworkable and so what blockchain brings you um, underpinning the many applications including Bitcoin and, and Ethereum um, is that solid shared view of the world that everybody agrees this is what the world looks like right now um, and that's that's pretty cool um, the overlap with with PKI is a bit subtle or with crypto in general is a bit subtle because it has been said um, that maybe we don't need certificate authorities and, and because the way that the SSL padlock works and everything else um, is that you've got these people you know, names some folks might might recognize like VeriSign or Global Sign, yeah. you know, the big CAs. <coughs> You've got these folks who sit in the middle and in theory um, they could be corruptible. They could issue certificates for nation yeah. states that intercept everything or they could issue certificates that look like it's Microsoft but really it isn't. Um, it's true thing that happened recently let's encrypt if you've, you've heard of that it's a great yeah uh, great is idea. free service isn't it? Mm. Um, so let's encrypt is a free service to try to encrypt the at least basic encrypt the entire internet so when you're connecting to websites you know you're always going to the right website and you know that you know the guy in the cafe isn't intercepting your your mm, communications man in the middle yeah all of that all that fire sheep stuff <laughs> um, so there's another we haven't got time but there's another anecdote about fire sheep in Cambridge where I'm from um, but so, <laughs> so, um, so what Let's Encrypt does is it's a free service to give people uh, what's called a certificate, so yeah. a, you know, a proof of ownership of their website so that um, all of the internet can be protected. The problem is um, in the early days of, of that being laid out, of course loads and loads of people applied to say that they owned mail.microsoft.com, you know, slightly more complicated than that, but effectively that's what yeah. they did. And there were loads and loads of certificates issued that actually were not, not legit. Um, and convincing people to go to the to the wrong place. So there is um, potentially an issue with having central CAs or having these sort of authorities who are trusted as being fully true all the time and infallible yeah. um, if they do go wrong. And of course, if you take that fact, I mean it's, it's, it's true, if a CA fails then, then bad things can happen. If you take that and you align it also with the um, sort of crypto anarchist agenda um, or with the ideals of um, Bitcoin mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of the most famous use of blockchain yeah. you know, Bitcoin has a very specific requirement and a specific aim to be decentralized so that there are no central authorities who can come in and just arbitrarily no. take your money or see what you're doing or, or whatever yeah. else and that's a great thing for that use case no, no problem with that at all but it very quickly when Bitcoin became famous and popular and everybody had this fear of missing out and wanted to be doing something in, in, in blockchain and it's 
unbelievable how many conferences you can go to and meet a person whose actual job title is head of blockchain <laughs> and the first thing that they ask you is what can I do with this thing uh, yeah, there's, a, there's an awful lot of um, froth around yes. looking for a thing to do and so it's very easy to take sort of the, the most famous and popular piece of one bit of the story and glue it to another one, glue it to another one mm. and all of a sudden you get to this idea that all blockchain must be fully decentralized in all cases and totally uncorruptible and unmanageable uh, and of course that's not true in lots and lots of use cases where we're just trying to trade um, you know, we can trade among ourselves because we want to have pizza tokens well yeah, you know, yeah. maybe we'd allow us to rewind something if it goes wrong um, whereas of course in a big open public currency you don't want anybody no. to be able to rewind anything because that will you know, break the social contract you've yeah. got there so um, yeah, so really where it comes down to it, we've got some, some decent stuff in the field actually using uh, blockchain in a private and permissioned uh, mode, which again is not, not totally uncontroversial, but it's becoming quite well established as a, uh, as a piece of the technology stack to use permissioned blockchains as this sort of recording underlay and as um, more efficient, more automated execution of what's called smart contracts and, yep. and code. Um, in order to just make business processes run more efficiently. So um, we, we have you know, Accenture is a partner of ours, for example. We have a number of, uh, of other partners doing things with blockchain. Mm -hmm. And underneath that, when you scrape off all the stories of magic, um, because, of course, you know, blockchain is magic in, yeah. in, in most um, popular press, there's a lot of cryptography going on. You've got private keys, you've got, um, you know, there's a lot of encryption which is reasonably easy to handle, but you also have the identities of everybody playing in this space yep. is underpinned by crypto. And if those crypto keys can be stolen or misused or copied, all of the magic suddenly evaporates because your assumptions are, are, are invalid. So what we're doing, it's a very long way of saying, we're taking this technology, we're scraping off the froth and we're actually hardening it for industrial use. Um, and, and that's cool and it saves customers um, money in operations and it opens up new business models uh, where previously you would have had to sign lots of bilateral contracts and put yeah. in expensive databases now you just agree to operate on this ledger and um, uh, and it all just works so it's a term we've used in in different contexts while we've been recording the last day or two but it removes friction absolutely yeah 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 and I must admit you're absolutely right so many customers are like right I know I need to do something in blockchain, but I don't know what, where to start, what technology to adopt. You know, do I do I use it as an underpinning to an audit system where it becomes essentially an immutable audit trail? So it's really interesting to hear that you essentially going and saying, and we, we do actually have a couple of vendors. So IBM have got one, they've yep. got their Hyperledger, Microsoft are, are dabbling. Well, I, should, I should stop you there, um, otherwise I'll get in trouble with some of my, um, some of my friends. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm actually on the governing um, uh, board of Hyperledger, ah. um, which is not owned or even dominated anymore by IBM. Um, so there, it's true the the fabric system. Uh, I think it's important because it also helps sort of encourage yeah. the the kind of um, adoption and an input that we need. The fabric was um, donated by IBM, and it was, yeah. you know, it was yep. great great of them, and they're still. You know, a lot of participation, there's a lot of work from IBM goes into maintaining and updating the Fabric framework, uh, but Hyperledger is actually much bigger than that. We've also yeah. got some frameworks um, for pluggable consensus. Okay. Um, so one of, <coughs> one of the really difficult things that people see with using blockchain for any kind of 
uh, industrial or commercial use is that again you know if you don't know very much about it you read a quick snippet about bitcoin and you see that bitcoin burns more electricity in a second than yes. you know the moon mission or whatever yeah. the, the, the current thing is i think iceland, was, <laughs> yeah, iceland was, was, is, is the current flavor of, of the month for how much electricity bitcoin burns um, because of this proof of work thing but of yeah. course as soon as you come away from the economic and the trust incentive model yeah. and the fact that there is actually currency value and you have to put something in you know just the same as minting coins ought to cost roughly as much as the coin face value otherwise you end up with sort of implicit inflation same kind of deal um, so in bitcoin yes proof of work is bloody expensive uh, and it burns a lot of electricity and everything else. As soon as you scrape that away and your use case is different or the tokens are valued differently or yes. the participation is incentivized differently, you can actually have different consensus mechanisms. Um, meaning, you know, consensus meaning how do we agree that a transaction or yeah. a set of transactions is valid? Mm. You can have different ones which have different cost characteristics um, that aren't necessarily let's burn lots of electricity and they can instead just be um, put up your... Uh, thing called proof of stake which again if you just throw it away as three words it's get into trouble with um, arguments with, with with people but yeah effectively if i can prove that i'm more incented to make the system work than to break it i'm good um, or you can have simple signatures you can have multi-signatures there's a thing from intel called proof of elapsed time uh, which is used in the sawtooth thing so yeah there are lots and lots of options for things you can do so pluggable consensus um on top of you know, two frameworks for ledgers because there's Sawtooth Root Lake and there's also also Fabric with um, smart contracts. So there's also a framework called Burrow, which is looking to allow um, you know, Ethereum compatible contracts um, or you know, general um, smart contracts to be executed. All you know, all fully open source, all mm. um, contributed. That means that you've got a, a, a toolbox now, effectively, of frameworks where you can choose the most appropriate tool for your job. So just the same as you know, people might choose Linux or Windows for, for one purpose or another, you can also choose you know, Fabric or Sawtooth and you can choose what system of agreement you, you actually put in there. So um, not just blindly taking somebody else's use case and trying to hammer something on top of it, but actually building a, a robust system. I'm, I'm really mindful of time, but one question I've got to ask. Yes. We at, at the top of this podcast, we mentioned two words. One was blockchain, <coughs> the other was quantum. Ah. I'm, I'm fascinated. Based on what you've just said about blockchain and, <laughs> and, and what Thales is doing, I'm fascinated to have a very high-level view of, of what you guys are How long have I got? At. I'm going to push out another... Ten. I, I was going to give you five, but ten. <laughs> give me, I'll tell you what, give Best me five. Best offer. You, you don't know me too well, but give me five, I'll take ten. That'll be, um, <laughs> that'll be me. Sounds like you know me. Oh, dear. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, no, so that's a that's a good um, good cue. So yeah. what we're looking at, fundamentally, what I'm trying to do is to see where the world is going, so that mm. we can give the best security. We do believe that cryptography is very fundamental to what's going on. Yeah, uh, and so the quantum threat um, clearly is something that we we have to take notice of. And I think I would say just as a as a, as a almost an aside, but there are people out there who say that the quantum threat is completely not real. So just um, quite, very, very quickly, what is a quantum threat? Um, I'll come to that. I'll, okay, okay, I'll that's re, fine. Yeah. No, that's absolutely it's fine. Like, it'd I be like, like it. one of those movies where you start in the middle. That um, works for me. Oh, yeah. I like it's it like the one film. The guy, yeah, the, the guy standing on the bridge and you don't know yeah. how he got there. Um, so yeah, the, the, the threat 
um, will have. Yeah, some people are saying that um, quantum computers will never get to the point that we need to care about it as, as cryptographers. Um, my point of view on that is, firstly, that you know there are many other people who are saying they will, and there's some ev um, considerable ev evidence that they will, but also it would be very foolish of us as providers and you know, pioneers in, in um, cryptographic sorry, technology to ignore something that we've had so much notice of. So very interested in, um, in attacking this. So basically, quantum computers are very different to uh, computers that we have today running on transistors. Yes. So based on time, yeah. we did a whole podcast on quantum computing. Perfect. So year. refer back to so the earlier podcast. refer back to trends, 2018 trends, because funny enough, one of my trends for this year was the rise of quantum computing. Perfect. So go for it. So quantum computing is, yep. we'll give people time to listen to that podcast and come back. Um, <laughs> then there are some very specific uses of, of quantum computing that can be dangerous. Mm -hmm. for security systems. Yep. In particular, so we've talked about the padlock before, so the the security of the internet, I hate saying this because I, I don't think it's really true, but you know, as a shorthand, the security of the internet is that padlock, it's the SSL layer. That is underpinned by uh, what's called asymmetric cryptography, uh, which I'm not going to go down that road, okay. but you know, you basically both ends have... Um, cryptographic secrets, they have mm -hmm. different cryptographic secrets and that means that you can have a secure conversation um, not only protecting the information in there but also knowing who you're talking to yeah. um, at, okay. at, at both ends. Those systems, you know, RSA, elliptic curve kind of, kind of systems, those are currently considered secure because the classical mathematics that it requires to break them um, is hard with a capital H. It takes a very long impossible, time. I think it is probably yeah. the best way to put it. Um, well, it's better than theoretically impossible. We kind of know how hard it is, and so you can actually make a, a proper judgment on <laughs> yeah. how many billion years it'll take to, 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 to break. Um, but that's with current computers doing current math in a linear fashion. Um, the problem is that if we come up with uh, a universal quantum computer, so again, I'm sure everybody's listened to the trends 2018 now, they know the difference. Yeah, I might have to go and update with quantum universal <laughs> quantum <laughs> computer. Quantum uh, annealing. This is, and this is where we found out how good you are. Yeah. 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 Well, so there are multiple Sorry grades, job. right? And the things that are working well at the moment are quantum annealing. And that, that's cool, but that's not powerful enough to, to, to get to what I'm going to talk about. Okay. So you need to have a fully working so-called universal quantum computer yeah. running um, a thing called Shor's algorithm. Shor's algorithm is a way of exploiting the parallel processing capabilities and the different operations of quantum computers mm -hmm. to so-called factor, uh, that is, find the math inside uh, the cryptographic secrets that we currently consider to be very, very secure. So you go from a position where everything's perfectly fine and you've got, you know, age of the universe security on your communications to everything's really, really not fine <laughs> and you've got no security at all. You on your don't just move the goalposts, you actually change the game completely. Absolutely. Yeah. We've, we've and all of a sudden everything you've built the rules for that game, yeah, you just run a bus through. Yeah, yeah, we've gone from quidditch to tiddlywinks in, in like Oh overnight. I like that analogy. Yeah. 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 Um, so uh, so wow. yeah so so this is the the quantum threat is that in theory 
if we get to a universal quantum computer and somebody is sufficiently motivated, and that somebody might be a government uh, or it might be a large... Almost definitely going to be... <laughs> all yeah. bets are off! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then, then all bets are off. The, the interesting thing, though, about you know, if you say it's a government first, which it almost certainly is, security is all about risk and exposure and things. And it is also important that most of your listeners are not going to be dissidents um, or other governments yeah, who need to care about that. So yeah. you do have to kind of, there is always this industrialization train where things that were only in NASA in 1969 mm. do end up in your pocket in you know, 1989. Yeah. Right? So obviously the threat never gets less, yeah. but the, the day one threat is, is, is something for people to consider. So we get to this point where, um, where everything is broken how much do we care about that? Well, there are a couple of different ways to, to address this. Yep. Again, in the interest of time, I won't go down all the tracks, but um, in all of the things that you're doing to secure data or internet connections or whatever, the thing that's most at risk is that very first time that you want to connect to somebody and establish trust with them to open up a communications channel. Ooh. The thing, once you're inside that secure link, um, uh, there's another thing, I mentioned Shaw's algorithm, there's something yes. called Grover's algorithm, um, which is actually started off nothing to do with crypto. It's actually just a way of, of executing very, very efficient search in any database at all. But of course, one database you might imagine is the database of all crypto keys, and you want to search <laughs> for the crypto key you're looking for. That's kind of cool. Um, Grover's only basically halves the strength of, of that actual protection, the encryption thing. So encryption is kind of okay. Yeah. Um, it's, it's worth noting that even as recently as the 26th of April this year, there's been a um, four-phase improvement in that published by um, some collaborating Chinese universities. Wow. So that attack is also getting better. We can't sit on our laurels. But wow. basically, it's this first communication that you're trying to protect um, that's really, really under, under threat. And so what we're doing is trying to get ahead of that so yeah. that if and when it becomes relevant to our customers and the world at large, you can switch over. Um, and there's a couple of ways you can do that. You can do that by fighting quantum with quantum, as they say. Um, so you can start completely turning the world over, putting in physical units with you know, photon emitters um, for a thing, there's a thing called quantum key distribution, yeah. which, which yeah. works. Which um, is the spinning of electrons, I believe, to determine the key uh, it's absolutely mental. Uh, well, I mean, yeah. it isn't, it isn't. It's, it's, it's kind of the, the one thing everybody knows about quantum physics is yeah. the um, sort of entanglement and the um, interrogation theory. So the idea is that if you actually look at something it which is in flight, its state. it changes its state. Yeah. And so the idea, the very short idea, and I know better experts in this if you want to have a longer podcast, you send a, very, bunch, very of things, so. you send a bunch of things from one end yep. and they're received at the other end you then have a normal conversation about what you think you had at either end. And if you agree that you got the same thing, then clearly nobody looked, nobody peeked at your key because it wasn't changed en route. And if you disagree because the thing was changed en route, then clearly somebody was peeking yeah. and they changed the state. Right. So, so you can do that kind of thing. But uh, And then you also have to have you know, quantum computing as your main computers and, and uh, everything changes. Right? So in theory, this is a good idea. In practice, it's got a lot of practical hurdles. <laughs> yes. So the main thing, not least, you know, think about it, you've got to change all the university um, uh, curriculums yep. and everything and everybody's programming. It's just, it's just impossible. <laughs> so, so what we're doing is um, we're joining the effort um, that NIST is 
running right now, and lots of governments, lots of universities mm. around the world. There are 69 candidate algorithms in a in a NIST. Uh, that's the American National mm. Institute of Science and Technology um, uh, process. Definitely not a competition this time. They used to run competitions for what's the best one. They're not doing that this time. But they've got a process for see what we can use that isn't the current set of padlock algorithms but are in fact different kinds of maths or different kinds of processes that are not vulnerable to things like Shaw's algorithm or uh, terribly vulnerable to, to, to Grover's algorithm. So there's lots of new fun maths uh, at play that we can that we can mess with. Right. And in practical terms, what we've been doing to, to make sure this works is implementing some of them for fun in browsers like Chrome or Embed TLS or OpenSSH, oh, wow. that kind of thing. To, just to get ahead of when it's needed, we'll be, we'll be ready for it. Right. I think it's safe to say that we need John back on for a proper bandwidth session at some definitely. point. Definitely. Where we aren't limited well, very to time. No, that would be yeah. fantastic. We will definitely, definitely arrange that. Look forward to it. Right. John, Fascinating. Brilliant. I'm so sorry for, for rushing you, but thank Not you so much. That has been just, well, we've never said less in a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's, takes that, a lot that of that doing. Is, that is credit in itself. So thank you so much for coming on. No, Absolutely brilliant. fantastic. Really yeah, we will you. have you back on soon. Perfect. Thank much you, John. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Bye. Thank you for listening to this InfoSec Security Special. We're going to be back next week with more coverage from this fantastic event. Stay tuned and speak to you then.